Welcome to Live Sense 8. I'm Sheila Applegate. And I'm Zach Hansen. And a special shout out to Justin Applegate for the composition of the Live Sense 8 podcast music. In this podcast, we dive deep into the concepts of consciousness and other interesting trivia in the Netflix original series, Sense8. We're doing an episode-by-episode exploration of how we can live a Sense8 life, and we're also talking with cast and crew and team members of Sense8 to hear the experience from their perspective. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Tracy Wright, Conscious Parenting and Living Coach. She's shining clarity with compassion and understanding. You can find out more about her on consciouslyawesome.com. We also have Marisa Dranchak, Conscious Life Coach. Discover how vibrant life can be. You can find out more about Marisa at myconsciouslifecoach.com and Divine Phoenix Books. Books with a purpose for a positive change. Check out Divine Phoenix Books at divinephoenixbooks.com. In this segment, we talk about what's going on in the world of Sense8. Coming up this Friday, August 3rd, we will be having a Sense8 birthday rewatch. So please rewatch Sense8, especially season two finale on August 3rd to show Netflix how many people are viewing and loving Sense8. Because on August 8th, which is the cluster's birthday, there is a mass exit of Netflix for those people who are planning to unsubscribe Netflix if they don't give us a season three. They're doing that on August 8th. Whether or not you are unsubscribing, please support this effort by watching Sense8 on Friday, August 3rd and using the hashtag since 8 B-Day Rewatch. I also want to let you all know that the winner of the drawing for a free session with me that I offered for the San Francisco Sense8 Mural Project Fundraiser has had her session. She did donate via Anonymous, so I'm not announcing her name to all of you, but I do want you to know that she was able to receive her free session. We had an amazing time. Also, you may have heard Maximilian Ewald or Paul Ogula talking about my meditation technique, conscious meditation, and the impact that it's had on their lives. Recently, my Consciously Awesome team facilitators, Tracy and Marisa, did a free talk and had me on 
to do a guided meditation. We had an amazing time. Not only do I do a guided meditation that will offer you tips on how to meditate with ease and joy and fun in your life, they also talk about their program that's coming up in September. So I'm going to have the link for you on our post. Please take a minute, get some tips about meditation experience my conscious meditation. And if you have any questions about that, or if you're interested in a free discovery session, which is 30 minutes of a conscious life coach who has been trained by me chatting with you about your life and how they can help you, maybe giving you some tips in that moment, and then talking about the program. If you have any questions, write to team at livesensate.com and we will reply to you and we'll get that set up. All right, let's get on with the episode. All right, let's talk about season two, episode one today. Happy fucking new year, part one. This is directed by Lana Wachowski, created by Lily and Lana Wachowski and J. Michael Straczynski. It's written by Lana Wachowski and J. Michael Straczynski. Let's uh, blow this wide open today, Sheila. All right. Well, this is a big episode. So if you didn't notice, we are dividing it because not only is it long, but it is full. And we've actually talked about several of these scenes in our interviews with Purab. Several scenes with Purab. Yeah, we've from talked here. about this episode a lot. We've talked about it with Ethan and the magical yep. music. And we've talked about it with Paul in Jealousy. Yeah. Legendary. Legendary. Anyone else in here? We've. Oh, Michael in some bug scenes. So. We're going to take this opportunity to dive deeper in to scenes we haven't covered before. So if you haven't already listened to the episodes with Michael Summers, Purab Kohli, Paula Gola, and Ethan Stola, then you should go back and listen to those too, because this... And they're awesome. They're awesome. This episode's an epic. It's been... Talked about from every different angle. By the time we get done with this, you're going to be like, I fucking know that episode. So let's go. Let's do it. All right. Opening scene. Now we haven't talked. Okay. I do have to say, and I'm sure, Zach, that you're feeling the same way. Watching this again, I was like, I want Ethan back. There's so much more than the Alleluia to talk about in this episode. The, the the music and score for Sense8 is awesome. It is. And this, oh my God, this one was so amazing. So it starts out with the water scene and they're all underwater. So you may know that there are different stories about this. This apparently was a really difficult scene for the actors to accomplish. It was very difficult to stay underwater, to be weighted down. There's one picture going around after the scene, and they are all bruised up. (laughs) Whoa, I haven't seen this. Yeah, so we know it was hard, but 
the music is incredible. Like this opening scene to me, it takes a long time and it's slow in that sense. And that's one of the things I love about this series is that it takes its time and it throws so much on us at the same time. And I don't even know how you do that, right? Like how do you just sit and take so much time for all these musical scenes? It's more than a scene. <laughs> Art? I don't know. Artistry. There's so much artistry in it. So much metaphor, so much symbolism. And then there's still so much action. Like, it's just cool. It was so cool. It actually, for me, has a slight, very slight touch of a James Bond intro. Mm, yeah, I could see that. So the music, to me... I listened to the lyrics a lot. And so I, I, this was feeling good. That's the song in the background for this opening scene. And that was written by Anthony Newley and Leslie Brykus. And it's performed here by Avicii. And I'm going to put the YouTube clip of their song of this because it's interesting. That came out in two, the clip I saw on YouTube came out in 2015. So prior to this episode, I believe. And the opening of that seems significant. So I like looking at the crossover and maybe why they chose to do the things they chose to do in the art here. Anyway, some of those words, it's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me, and I'm feeling good. Fish in the sea know how I feel, forever running free, you know how I feel. And it also says the blossoms on the trees, you know how I feel. So to me, we know that water is a conduit. We've talked about that before. It represents emotions. It's historic how how long back into history there's references to water being used not only as an electrical conduit, but an energetic conduit and a psychic conduit. So we have that experience. We know it represents emotions and it's the connection not just to all of them, but to all of nature when you combine the song with it. So it's just like, okay we made it through season one, or for them, we made it through like their, you know, nearly their first year or their first phase of getting used to this. And we're ready to now move forward into our next phase, I think. I don't know. I just thought it was epic. What do you think? I thought it was awesome. All right. So what do you think about Angelica being in the water? Uh, that was a little strange. She looked like she was dead and drowning or drowned. And she just got thrown in the water all by herself there at the end. She was there like, in Maybe the it mix. was a, a little metaphor for her life. Like she's isolated, feeling alone, drowning, and dead. <laughs> Death is a metaphor for her life. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> well, we do get, it is a foreshadowing to some more in this episode later. I think they answer this question in this episode they and we're going to talk well about. could for sure. And they just throw her in for fun, I think. They're just like, all right, we want to, we, we, you need some more screen time. <laughs> Let's go ahead and put you in this ambulance real quick or in front of people that are driving it. I don't know. I, it's a mystery to me. So I'm just kind of making light of it. I really don't know why she gets sprinkled in the way she does, unless it's very super deep and super beyond my 
understanding or contemplation of what's going on in the show? Well, since we're here and on this now, later in the show, when Jonas and Will are talking, they discuss how Will can still have her memories because there's not like there's a transfer where there's a biological DNA transfer in a in a mother to a child physically that the birthing the the mother the sensate who births them basically gives them an imprint a connection that's there forever and it goes beyond death which so does a birth mother right like we have an extra connection and there is a symbolism you know i mean i know there's a connection that i have with my kids that i can't explain in any other way right well we have here they're really trying to kind of with the in my opinion the best way they can is trying to articulate something that actually doesn't have rules yeah it doesn't it isn't definable but yet we need to try to define it because that's what human beings do so after that scene, one of the first things we come to is Neitz, and she's reading. She's reading Remote Viewers, and the extended title of that, The Secret History of America's Psychic Spies by Jim Schnabel. Pretty cool. They're trying to do their homework. Yeah, trying to research now. So she's looking into this. And I think we've got sprinkled in here um, in this episode a lot of what we feel as human beings navigating the Earth or alien beings <laughs> navigating the Earth, sensates navigating the Earth. It's like her colleague, the other person in this bookstore, and he looks like he should be pretty, you know, well, what does someone look like who's open-minded? I don't even know. But he says some comment to her like, oh, I wouldn't peg you to be into that stuff. And she says something about her mom always having been into that stuff. And he says, we become our mothers. Now, this is interesting because she says, that's a scary thought. And um, we happen to love Grace and Maximilian. <laughs> so, Grace's character is awesome, though. But right, I mean, maybe you know, whoever wants to hear that, nobody, nobody really does. I like to think my kids are like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> They're not really. Sometimes now they're a little older that they get, but um, yeah, my kids never liked hearing that either because we want to become more than our mothers right right we each generation does and, and i want my kids to become more than the me things that you know we see them blocked with but interesting to me is that it's needs that says that line because of all the moms that are rep well leader's mom is pretty epic and we see that later on too but a lot of the others maybe well i don't know I was going to say a lot of the others maybe wouldn't want to become... I was kind of generalizing to parents. But there's a lot of bad fathers in this. Bad dads. Bad daddies. Bad dads. <laughs> so anyway, I thought that was an interesting comment, especially when Grace seems like such a great mom. But, you know, everybody has their issues. I mean, way, way to throw in those two concepts just like real quick, right? I actually, the first time watching it, didn't even notice the title of the books. Like, it wasn't anything I, super, I paid a, attention to because I didn't 
think they were super important. And yeah. now here we're going through the second time and knowing everything has its place. And so it's like, pause, let's see whatever this little detail is. Right. And and so it's like, how much of this, if you were just watching this once without a pause button, how much subliminal messages do you get, right? Like, that's kind of cool. But we know now, you kind of got to pause. Somebody's got counter, right? Who's out there? Who's out there with the <laughs> subliminal message counter? You got to pause everything. You got to know what's on TV in the background. You got to pay attention to what the music is. You got to... Pay attention to the art. Like we now know that some of the art in the background come from the people who play the fairies. Like, how cool is this? Like, you've got to pay attention to everything. So paying attention to the books here, pretty cool. There's actually a couple other books. So near the end, um, Nomi and Neats are also reading. So we'll just talk books for a second here because I just felt like we should throw out and let people notice the books because maybe, you know, Sensei Book Club. <laughs> right? What's remote viewing? What is this? Right. Right. Well, isn't that common practice? <laughs> Wait, remote viewing? Is it viewing? common? I don't know. I don't know. Only weird people do stuff like Wait, that. Wait, that's me. Uh, no, I know remote viewing. I mean, you've heard of it, right? I mean, no, we were, we're just joking for the, uh, well, for... The people who don't know, I don't know what we're doing, but remote viewing, there is say, or I've heard that there's government trained people that Mm -hmm. can teleport and remote view. I happen to be able to remote view, which is pretty awesome. I haven't used it as a means of spying on purpose anytime. Well, you're really not living up to your potential. Right. That's why the government's going to come and try to control me, right? <laughs> but, um, and then I know, I think we've talked about my friend um, who he remote viewed. He popped over and then the people that he popped into saw. So you know what the thing is? If you're afraid of people spying on you from remote viewing, just get really super conscious. If we all get super conscious, then none of the, like, it can work, but no scary ways. So anyway, so remote viewing is training people to be able to see from other places to stay. It, it To me, it's a lot like teleporting. I don't know what exactly is different, but it is what the, the sensates are doing. To me, it's way easier. Like when I'm driving by... Um, Stonehenge, instead of having to pay, go in and and cling to the fence, I can just like pop in and experience the whole thing. That happened once. All right, folks, um, just a small disclaimer here. If you're driving and you know how to do remote, remote viewing, please don't. That's distraction driving. <laughs> and we want distractionless drivers. Thank you. Zach is pretty obsessed with distractionless drivers. And it's often focused on, the, like, what everyone else, text and Marco Polo and all those things that people do when driving. I'm wondering if it's the fact that I keep popping out of my body while driving him that makes him so obsessed with this lately. Just be smart. I try to be smart. <laughs> <laughs> We don't need anybody here to get any Darwin Awards. My first, um, the first meditation, actually, I don't know if my last CD that came out had it too, but my meditation CDs have had disclaimers, do not use while driving. And so does the Consciously Awesome. Yeah, meditation and driving and remote, (laughs) any any distraction where you can't 
operate your giant ass motor vehicle should not be done. Right. Okay. So other books that were in there were, that's um, later on in the episode, but we've got things that you could pay attention to. The Third Man Factor. I don't know much about that one. Yep. I don't either. But then there's also... Being Human Being. In that, Neat starts referencing Freud. So these are not, you know, this is not New Age stuff. This is pretty... No, nah, it's been around for decades, yeah. if not longer. But one of the things... So she talks about him and his theory for pre-human communication and psychic synaptic field that explains why inv- inventions and scientific... Discoveries. Discoveries happen at the same time from around right. the world. And like, this happens the, a lot. Like the Wright brothers is like one of the greatest examples or easiest to use. Like they were just like a week or a couple days ahead of the people. And I believe it was France. They were right behind them in creating the, the air, first airplanes for us. Yeah. So to me, that's a huge concept. Like that's one of those one-liners that is like a core of my work and teaching because to me that's the collective consciousness and even back when I was a therapist Jungian theory was very um I resonated with it to be honest I resonated with it even more since I've left the world of therapy and moved on as a spiritual teacher etc and that is he talks about the collective consciousness and how we are tuned into that. I think we're understanding that more and more. I think that's what's coming out when we talk about oneness. But this is so cool because if you take that one line and that one concept and you start thinking about it, you've already changed the world because we're all we're our thoughts are all connected. So any progress that we make helps adjust humanity. So this is why it's actually the most selfless act to start to grow and evolve and invest in your own consciousness and and become the best person you can be, whatever that means to you, because by doing that, that leads the world, the collective consciousness in the direction of evolution. Amen. Right? That's awesome. Do that. Yeah, do that. (laughs) So we're kind of bouncing around here, taking notes kind of in order, but taking themes. So just stick with us. Like we said, we're doing the first half of this episode, and then we're going to come back and do the second half because we want to really dive into the concepts. We also have stuff going on with Sun now. And she's remembering her brother's lies and she puts it into a workout. So she's like, she's flashing back to her brother lying about her father dying and she's getting so mad. And then she punches the wall and then Wolfgang goes and says, I feel like I'm hitting a wall. And I think that's another, you know, it's just, there's just so many subtleties The more we are connecting with other people the more we experience this um, consciousness beyond ourselves the more we have to realize sometimes it's other people's feelings and not just ours and i mean he was up against a wall in a sense metaphorically but 
Maybe he wasn't. So let me ask you this a little bit. Let's pretend that Wolfgang, for some reason during the day, he's like, man, I feel like I'm hitting this wall. But then he breaks through. How would that affect Sun would get out of jail. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, yeah, I think it's metaphorically speaking, too. And that's exactly what we're talking about, right? You're so, so, so sly. So, so sly. (laughs) Yes, the collective consciousness and being able to help each other through that way, even people we don't know. But the one thing that I thought was important with Wolfgang here is after he says that he feels like he's hitting the wall, he says he was trying to fix everything. And that includes, if you don't recall, blowing up his uncle and the family just happened in the last episode and all the people's. And also telling Kala that she had to marry Rajan. And now we see Kala having experienced that, listened to him, chosen Rajan at this point to go into marriage with him. And she's making, she's, we've got struggle throughout this, and we're going to talk about some of that today. But she's having very joyful moments with him as well throughout this episode and Wolfgang is seeing that and I think sometimes I think he's hurt like he did want to love her unconditionally and to him unconditionally at that point meant don't be in relationship with her set her free but that doesn't make it easy I mean I think there's times when we've all had relationships that maybe we thought we needed to let the other person go or we both, we had to change the form because it and was for better. super hard decisions, you know? Yeah, and it doesn't feel good even if you feel like it's the right thing to do. But now he's definitely doubting all of this because he thought that that would help solve his problems and it really didn't. They just got bigger, didn't they? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah because in this episode his aunt comes to him and she gives him the map and basically like you have created a war and if you don't step in and be the next leader of this mafia that we've got going then there will be a war so he was trying to basically set himself free and instead he put himself more in the spotlight and called himself into it deeper yep (laughs) there's a lot of territory on that map yeah yeah i didn't go into and maybe i'll do that next time like looking at her map that she draws and then the symbolism of who's in what quadrant because he did the the directions north south east and west and and I think they said that he would be ruling the East, or um, he, it was the East. So just the significance, whether that's from German history or the four directions and native traditions. But I just don't think these guys overlook any detail. So maybe I'm reading more into it, but I want to go back and look at that. They were all color-coded, too. Yeah. Oh, I bet you they were color-coded. Do you think they were color-coded for the four directions? Probably, because that is coded. I'm not, I, I'm not sure anyway, I have to look into that. We did, I did a lot of research for this episode, but I'm going back to do that. If anybody gets there first and wants to tweet out to us, tell us. At live underscore sensate on the Twitter. All right, so there is an epic scene that we talked about with Paul, who plays Jella. But we can't overlook the fact that we have Toby coming to the team right now in this episode. So 
If you didn't realize, the actor for Cappius changes in this season. One of the cool things that I think we've talked about before is that as far as we know, there may be some disagreement, but everyone has been totally respectful about that change and decision. So kudos to everyone. Welcome, Toby. We love you, Toby. And uh, moving forward, he becomes Cavius. I mean... Cavius the superpower. <laughs> Cavius the superpower. What a perfect scene. I mean, I still think that they that was brilliant art to be able to shift them and play with us in such a way while still getting in profound statements like, okay, I love the Obama bus. Like, we just got to say, they talk about Obama before he became president and after and how worn he is. And how his face changes, but they have a Obama bus. <laughs> like that's just funny. That's some funny stuff. And then he talks about faces not being as important as the heart. And to be a legend, we need a heart like a Sean Claude. And so you know, I mean, another just little message to us that's super deep, right? It's not what we look like. I mean, we could take that, right? If it's not the face, then it's not your skin. It's not the the color of your eyes or the way your facial hair is grown. It's the heart. Indeed, we will all be judged by the courage of our heart. Yes, we will. By who are we going to be judged? Well, that's a great question. Yeah. Probably ourselves. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm my biggest judge. All right, so I think we have a clip here next. What do you say? I'm going to, should we set this up a little bit? Or I think Yeah, so we got yeah, go Hernando teaching in his school, and some kids are all, all in a, a ruckus about something, some joke or something, and they, they're sharing things on their cell phone. And Hernando is like, hey, why don't you let me in on that action? Because I'm sure he likes to laugh too. So, here's the clip. Is this art, Mr. Fuentes? <laughs> Is it art, Mr. Vallis? What do you think? Why don't you tell us what you see? Looks like shitpacker porn. Shitpacker porn, that is... That is very interesting. Yeah. Because this is where the relationship between subject and object reverses. The proverbial shoe shifting to the other foot. And what was seen now reveals the seer. Because the eyes of the beholder find not just beauty where they want, but also shallowness, ugliness, confusion, prejudice. Which is to say the beholder will always see what they want to see, suggesting that what you, Mr. Bias, want to see is in fact shitbacker porn. <laughs> Whereas someone else, someone with a set of eyes capable of seeing beyond societal conventions, beyond their defining biases, such a beholder might see an image of two men caught in an act of pleasure. Erotic, to be sure, but also vulnerable. Neither aware of the camera. Both of them connected to the moment, to each other. To love. 
as I have suggested before in this class, art is love made public. Whoa, beautiful. <laughs> it's art. Yeah. It's art. I mean, we got a lot. I mean, Hernando is just amazing in his ability to stay centered. And you said... Yeah, I don't think a normal person in real life could pull that off the way he did and reacting the way he did and not getting super emotional and just kind of turning that around in a non-aggressive fashion. Like he just laid it gently out on the line and made his point and he wasn't feverant about it. And the intelligence with which he does it too, where it's, it's not attacking and yet it's using facts or, or teachings and, and truths to turn it around on the person. And it, it seems it's a simple application of such a profound scene. So we're just going to drip in here for a second. Like social media, right? Like this is just, if we could just take this lesson even into social media when we navigate and get triggered by someone attacking us um, and use that same reverence, um, steady centeredness, intellect, beauty to, if we're going to reply to maybe make that our goal in every situation, right? Like imagine how awesome we will be as human beings. And he's not even a sensate, right? right? He's just an awesome human being out there. But I also think it has to do with, I mean, it's how people perceive the series Sense8 too, right? Some people just see orgies and sex and, oh, you know, there's gay people, there's trans people, and there's all this kind of sex that I'm not used to seeing and it's disgusting or it should be rated X, or, you know, it's it's like porn and, and yet. It's so beautiful and expressing so much love. And we've talked about how it transforms and, and what it means and how being exposed to that is helping people. But some people would never even let Sensate into their lives because they would be triggered and, and frightened by it. And the interpretation that Sensate is art and then we can't be responsible for what people perceive it as. Yeah, I think you beautifully described that whole scene in like um, in a different context, right? Like so that that kid in the chair is kind of the the people who can't watch the show, mm -hmm. right? Because they're just so put off by whatever, and they're not willing to um, open themselves up to something new, like exposing themselves to something new, right? So they just don't even doesn't even hit their realm of possibility. Yeah, and it's like. He just so gently says, you know, art is uh, in the, beholded in the eyes of the viewer. And it can, just as it can be viewed as art or whatever word he used, it can also be shallow and, you know, discriminatory, basically. So we are responsible for how we look at things. And um, he actually said that with a significant amount of love. And this is the key. He's cool with who he is. He wasn't embarrassed by his relate. He didn't have 
That's why he could pull it off is because he knows his love. He he doesn't show conflict about society's perceptions of him. He doesn't think sex is bad. He doesn't have baggage that would come out in the reaction. So again, if we want to turn it, what can we do to clear our baggage so in those situations we can show up? Yeah, so we can be okay with who we are. Yeah, that's the thing. He's so we okay. Stop judging ourselves. Yeah, because he doesn't judge himself. He wasn't even really judging the other person. He's just like putting turning the mirror back on him and saying, "You want to see that? What is that? You know, go figure out what that means to you." Yeah, but there was a depth like his I believe it was just the sadness of not being able to be seen. Yeah. Right. And Oh, yeah, there is definitely. So I mean, that was of, hard and Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think, I mean, I think in that moment, he was probably feeling sad for Lido because mm-hmm. he knew what it was going to do to Lido. Yep. Feeling, I mean, how many times do we feel crushed by society? Feeling sad that the choice was made to put it out there, sad that people were interpreting it that way, sad that you feel alone in your consciousness. I mean, sometimes when we clean ourselves up and we are good with ourselves and we do feel aligned, we can also feel sad that the rest of the world isn't there. Sad for them and sad for us and sad for the collective conscience. I've been in that boat. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) And so this scene really sets us up for another wonderful theme in this episode and kind of the entire show but when we're not open to seeing things in a different way then we really can't look past the labels right so that's as far as we get we just label somebody with a stereotype and we don't look past that we don't look at the situation everything's just kind of black and white at that point and we don't really like wonder why that person turned out the way they did or if they're having a bad day why are they acting the way they are whatever that is and so here um we have kala Mm -hmm. she's really starting to she's with rajan on the balcony of course because they're always (laughs) on the balcony (laughs) rajan loves that balcony (laughs) and uh somebody does in here anyway and though so this is where she actually starts to open up to him a little bit about what's going on with her and she tries at least so here's a clip from the balcony with (laughs) kala and rasha for starters there are people people that i feel connected to all over the world that are innocent and yet they're locked up in prison and 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 they are trapped by circumstance or by things that have happened in the past then there are people without the privilege that we have and they feel threatened because they love a person who the world has decided that they shouldn't love. It's wrong. Kala, Kala, I think I know what's going on. You do? I uh, talked to your mother. You did not tell her that we haven't had sex yet. I did. <gasps> well, I mean, I needed some guidance. You asked my mother if I was a... Kala, I oh. now recognize that this was inappropriate. Inappropriate? 
So I'm supposed to pretend that I'm not a dead. Am I supposed to pretend this is okay? Hey, hey calm down. Okay. I hate the board. They're trying to provoke us. They want us to be upset by you. Of course I'm upset! And if you don't mind, maybe you can explain one little thing to me. Why is it even not? Who gives a fuck? Who I fuck? This is the 21st century, people. Get over, get over it. it! Get over uh, it. <laughs> Let's all get over it. Seriously. So that scene, loaded, loaded, loaded. Um, and because we're a podcast... We don't have the visuals here. I just want to say that, like, while this was going on, if you don't remember, and go back to this clip and and watch it again. But as she's talking, and there's stuff I want to talk about, the opening that she says, but as we go in, let's also say that flashing in the scene with Lido and Hernando and Danny in the car in the rain um, are all the words that the labels, the derogatory labels that represent the eight and um, Kala, when it starts with Kala as the virgin and Riley as a slut. Then we have Will as a pig. Caffius is a nigger. Leto is a faggot. Sun is a bitch. And we definitely know she doesn't like that word. <laughs> and Nomi is... It shows the word freak and Wolfgang, it's Nazi. Potent, potent words there being flashed into. It's such a dichotomy from where Kala is starting and when she, she, and she does say she feels trapped as well. And it's not trapped by a building, it's trapped by a feeling. It's not a place, it's a feeling. And that feeling trapped and then she's referencing these people and she's trying to explain the sense eight like there's actually these people from around the world singular people in each of these situations who i know and i feel connected to yet if you didn't know that story and just heard that that's like an empathic that's like all of us who have that empathy, that compassion for the different people in different situations when we can come outside of ourselves and see ourselves in some in someone else. And she's seeing the truth in them, the pain in them, the experience, the all of them, the beauty of them. And that flashes against the labels that we use. And those are labels, again, that have been being thrown around a lot um, over all the lifetime, but really escalating. I mean, this was made, right, this comes out in 2016, so it's the 15 going into it. It's escalated even more since this was produced in bringing that to the surface. But I also like, it's like that, that last plea to all of us. It's the 21st century. Can we just Seriously, get over it now? I know. How many of us just feel like that? Raise your hand. Hand yep. raised. Unless you're driving. All right. <laughs> you can raise a hand and drive. It was a joke. <laughs> you can raise two hands and drive. <laughs> no, don't. Look, mom, no hands. Yeah, seriously, though, it's um, to me, this is one of those signature scenes for yeah. Sense8, for sure. Because um, it really, 
uh, we have the score in the background and the argument and the tension and all of that kind of stuff is we've already grown to love the characters and know them for who they are. And now we're kind of getting a way to feel the labels that are being placed upon them. Even though, you know, we've seen through their eyes, we know their, their troubles and we get it. And now we get hit with the labels, right. And the judgments that have been around for eons of time. Right. And I mean, I think that they represent a lot and it's, and they represent not being seen. Right. Like that's what it is. Each of those labels means that you're, you're not being seen for all of who you are. Somebody's looking at you, they're making a quick decision about who you are based on your look or your action. And they're taking all of you and they're smushing it into this tiny little word. That sucks. It does. That really sucks. And we've all experienced it. We've all experienced it. That's why we feel it so intensely. Then it just, it's like, the, like keep in mind this message about the collective consciousness. Because the cool thing in here, they give us the answers too. Maybe not every detail of the steps we need to do to apply it, but the answers are in here. The answers are right in here with the statement about Freud and the collective consciousness. I know that's my word, but this energy that connects us all, the idea that we can change this just by becoming more Hernando, becoming more of who we are, showing up. But the other beautiful thing in the whole connection, first of all, Rajan, not so cool there, what you did there, Rajan. (laughs) But he claims it. Do you see in the middle of this, he gives her the space to yell at him? He doesn't defend himself. He just, yeah, I was an ass. Like, I'm sorry, I was an ass. And he says you're a force to be of nature, I think, too, which is kind of cool because that's in her and he's seeing that. But then if you think about Leto got a chance to yell with and through her at somebody who, and get some of his energy out, that's all really cool. Like, that's the magic of collective consciousness and our willingness to show up and help each other it is very magical yeah 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 and that does happen in real life we see that also though in there i mean there's a lot so we've got the empathy the other word i use is horizontal oneness when for what she's describing as feeling other people and i just want to throw this in for a second it's kind of a deeper lesson but A lot of times we talk about oneness, right? And that's the collective consciousness is part of that. But we say we're all connected. We're all one. We're all made of the same thing. We are all part of a a bigger being, right? The whole cause and effect thing, the butterfly effect, like that's part of oneness. Yeah. So it's one thing for us to, to me, I found it's one thing to feel oneness with our supreme being, the universe, whatever that energy is, that vast energy that we we know loves us or is us. It's another thing to feel oneness with another person. And that's what these guys, that's what I call horizontal oneness. And that's what we kind of resist. And there are so many books and workshops on how to protect um, yourself if you're an empath. All the, and even when I was first learning, they were like, you know, 
put a pillar up, put a fortress up. Like, eh, that's not oneness. Like, what if we learn to be cool with ourselves and open to the energies, but not let them overwhelm us? That's what horizontal oneness is. That's what, so that's what they're doing. They're learning how to experience other people's emotions and filter them through their own, because that's why being empathic is difficult. Because if you haven't done your own work and somebody's, uh, you're feeling somebody's emotion and it triggers something inside of you, then it's difficult to navigate. Once you do your own work and you feel like Hernando, you feel centered, you feel, you know who you are, you know your feelings, you're, you own your feelings, you can also let those other feelings wave in and um, use them as a tool to help you everybody grow without feeling overpowered. Amen. Couldn't have said it better myself. So when we're looking at this, so let's talk about how they're getting you. So you got two solutions here, right? In this collective consciousness, in the horizontal oneness where you're empathic, you're connected to other people. So we got the other extreme here with Will and whispers, right? Because that he is trying to protect himself because there's malicious intent on whispers connection to him. In real life, this would be like a whole other lesson I'd have to go into with you and how you maybe stay open around malicious intent. But for this, this episode, we're going to stick to the storyline which we've got Will who is doing heroin to block himself. And then we get this window into Whisper's life and he's a dad. Who knew? Yeah, who knew? Just feeding the swans, talking about the little girl's line is, did you know swans mate for life? And that is a, a fact. That's true. I know my twin flame told me. If a swan's a partner dies, they'll just mourn. They won't reconnect with another. So I think that's the story. I, I mean, there's they don't pick one line for the little girl that isn't a symbol, right? So that kind of goes into, it didn't matter that, which we find out in this episode that Whisper's whole cluster is dead. He's the only one left that isn't dead. But he still dreams and talks to them in his sleep. And he he didn't disconnect from them even through death. And he can't, he isn't now connected to anyone. Like he's married. Uh, they say he's married. He has a kid. He plays this life. But his cluster is gone. And that link um, couldn't be severed. And then Jonas discloses that there's some little black pills that are pretty cool. Much better than heroin. Yeah, the blockers. Yeah, so he's got some blockers that helps him control this, but he says that the, he he probably didn't make a mistake, so he probably wanted um, Will to know that about him. I don't know. Do you think he did? I think it's really hard to tell. Like, at this point in the story, we still don't know if Jonas is a good guy or a bad guy. So if Will is doing his due (laughs) diligence and he's doing a good job and he's he just visited him right and he's kind of peeking into Whisper's life through the corner of his mind, 
And then you have this guy who we don't trust come over and say, well, he doesn't make mistakes. Maybe this is a setup. Maybe this is a trap. So it just leaves us to wonder, like Will is going to wonder, right? is this for real? Did he make a mistake? What I mean, what would be the purpose of him showing his daughter to Will in right. this particular area? What would be that purpose? Well, from an audience point of view, it was to let us know because <laughs> we can only know what Will knows. Right. <laughs> so why did he do that? Why did the creators do it? Why did the writers do it? We don't know. We don't know. But we do get some more information about Whispers, which is important. So we see Angelica. Yeah, and this is where we find out where he's talking about it didn't end the connection. All of his cluster is dead. All of Whisper's cluster is dead. He still is found connected to him in his sleep. But Jonas also explains to Will that he's having Angelica's memories. Like he has access to, even though Angelica's dead and just being sprinkled into scenes for amusement, according to Zach. <laughs> like she's like the biggest, as far as actors go, she's, she's the one biggest, of them, yeah. one of the biggest stars. So what we're seeing is that her collective consciousness, because her memories are still embedded in this cluster. So we actually have like a generational thing being set up now, right? So there's this going back to the scene with Neat saying, oh, that's a scary thought that I'm going to become my mother. This is their mother from the sensei perspective. And we said earlier, I said as the mother, I want my kids to go beyond me. I don't want them to come to become me. And as amazing as they may think I am, there is parts of me. I had to grow while I was raising them. And there's parts of me that they have to do better than. But I also have infused into them fears that I or things that I didn't even mean to like I ran a business from the home I have a fear I have a fear of making phone calls even though I can do it from my I talk on the phone all the time um my dad had that fear and my daughter got that fear it's an irrational fear none of us understand it and we all have tools to get over it my kids couldn't answer the phone as kids because I ran a business from the phone so it was we never knew if it was a work call or a personal call. So like, that's just an example of things that I have put on that is going to pass on after death. And here we've got son still being influenced by her mom after death and making these decisions. So it's just really profound as far as the generational growth. And, and I'm all about the next generation growing beyond us and setting us up for that and wanting them to. But I think that that's a huge issue in our evolution, and that's coming out here. I agree, because we can't get past labels, right? <laughs> right. Uh, right. Collective conscious, what's wrong with you? We got this, come on. So we have also in, in this, when we're talking about transferring consciousness, earlier in the show, there was this, this really cool scene that we're going to talk about where Will is actually talking to Angelica in her memory, but they're having a conversation in her memory. 
So this is really cool to me because I saw this as one of those times where they're kind of flirting with timelessness and it's another way for them to try to describe something undescribable where the properties aren't necessarily known on mm-hmm. how this works. Right. And then another interesting thing, was it a dream or was it not a dream, right? Was he dreaming or not? Because he was actually... Yeah, you don't actually you don't get into REM sleep right. with heroin. So it's not a dream because that's part of the problem is that you don't actually get sleep even though he's in a dream state. So his body will be worn because of it. So it's not technically a dream. It's an altered reality from a drug. But then what is it? Where is it? Right. Exactly. Where is and, it? And then she's actually talking to him and giving him conscious thought. In yeah, and then he's in, and that's that whole the mother, right? She's come up with the solution of blowing her brains out, which they're very they they do that often. Like, oh, go ahead and shoot yourself; it's okay. Yeah, like right? that's like, what they were doing in the, the last episode. The only like, thing we know is, how to do. Like this will solve it. Just die. Right. Wow, man! And then he does shoot himself in that state. But then he wakes up from it. He doesn't yeah, die. Yeah, he in wakes his up from it. And, it, and the only sleep. thing, it doesn't explode his brain. It's his throat, actually, that lights up in that scene before he wakes or comes to consciousness. But yeah, that's another example of okay, so you get the help from the mom, but you also get the hindrance, and it doesn't go away even at death. So here's the thing, folks relationships don't end at death. You don't get out of this. So you might as well show up and do everything you can to evolve yourself and your relationships now because it's not going away. Like, it's in you now. Life and consciousness never end. They just take different forms. This is truth. You cannot destroy energy. And we are... Energy. Yes. Mm. Hmm. And back to the subject at hand, another cool aspect of this and just how it was filmed, when Will and Jonas are talking and the connection starts to break up, so Whispers takes his blocker, and then Jonas is like, do you hear that? And it's because the blockers are starting to work, and then now it's Jonas and Will side by side, and he's trying to figure out where Jonas is at, but it's almost like when Jonas is sharing his memory. It's not like he's talking. It's almost like Jonas is capable of sharing his memory of Angelica to give Will that information. Right. But you don't know how it, if he did or didn't, because they just have to show that scene, but he has his eyes closed and he kind of looks like he was not talking when they get back to him. Right. And they're not really talking like it's a show. So they have to talk. And we've got those funny scenes where you talk aloud. And now I do that, too. So, well, it's not as crazy as I once thought it was. But this goes back to that same thing. And the book being human being. And that's what Michael said in the episode when we started talking about the animals communicating. And it's pictures in our true language is limiting. And our true essence of communication, it's done in pictures, and those pictures get imprinted into each other without words. In order to tell a story and be a television show, these guys have to talk to each other. But what really is going on 
is a lot more of those images, those flashing images into each other's consciousness. Just like the eight know each other's history. So Jonas sharing, and he said he's sharing. That's how they called it. They know I'm sharing, and they were coming after him to drug him, so he would stop, and then he shares that. Another interesting thing for me is he does say that the BPO is funded by countries all over the world, governments and countries all over the world. So that theme I was thinking about, it makes me sad that maybe governments all over the world are trying to suppress conscious people or manipulate or use them. We've talked about that before. It makes me sad that that storyline continues because, again, if we have a collective consciousness, it's what we're putting into the collective consciousness that keeps it generated. And that story is really old. And I was like, how old is this story? And I went back as far as Jesus, for sure. That's a really obvious one. But it goes back further than that to ancient times. Yeah, I believe that this... Moses. This, the, the magic of this storyline, we'll say, goes way back into, you know, the development of probably religion or even before that. And, and, and I guess because what's the, the concept here is there's this big bad boogeyman that's out to get us. Right. I'm not saying whether or not they are or not, they are or not, but another, if we look at religion, we have this God that's taught in many religions that he's there to judge us after we're dead. Right. So we have to, there's this looming presence that we always have to be aware of. And in my upbringing, it was a lot of questions of like, not me personally, but you've heard this a lot. Well, why does God let this happen? And whatever that would be is X. Right. So why does the government let this happen? Fill in the blank. Like, why isn't the government taking care of me? Why isn't God taking care of me? This kind of thing where human beings are relinquishing their sovereignty about being a responsible human being and being able to take care of yourself through these particular concepts of storylines. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it comes back to, were we ever sovereign? We have stories in which we were possibly sovereign in Atlantis, Lemuria, but we don't even know because they didn't make it in order to like government and structured religion can't exist with sovereign people, right? Correct. So what are they trying to suppress or harness is our sovereignty. If we all remember who we are and our fullest potential, then we can't be controlled. So somewhere in our human history, the weaker of the species was able to overpower the stronger of the species. And I don't know when that happened. That's probably pretty wild because if we think of animals, usually the stronger in the species lives, you know, but then there's the cunning as a coyote or something, right? It all comes from coyotes. But um, somewhere in there, this, this dichotomy of a government or a structured essence trying to overpower the sovereign and how do you create community within sovereignty? It, it, it's ancient. 
I don't yeah, know if I we're going to solve it in this episode. A very <laughs> ancient puzzle, to be sure. But I am tired of that story. Yeah. I mean, that is the one thing I said at the can at the initial cancellation. If this story was just going to go that road and go deep into it forever and ever, I'm tired. But it didn't, and it isn't. So. Nope. Season five can come because <laughs> we're good. So speaking of that, kind of sticking, just springboarding for a second, because there's a theme that's just kind of a little bleep on here that I want to catch. And that has to do, you know, let's go with religion, spiritual beliefs or whatever, believing in miracles and stuff and that feeling of it not working. So I'm I'm kind of, this is a long, this is kind of a uh, long shot at trying to um, springboard onto this, but I do want to Sheila's say, throwing that Hail Mary. <laughs> here we go. I don't even know Hail Mary. I was a Protestant. <laughs> I love you, Mary. <laughs> Hail Mary. <laughs> okay. So one point, this is just another, okay, there is no correlation to what we were just talking about, but I want to make a point here. I'm jumping, jump with me. It's what I do. Miracles. So Jella and Cappius are working on the Van Dam, the, the bus, and they're working along and they think they got it. And Jella says, do you believe in miracles? And Cappius says, you know, I do. Right. We all believe in miracles, right? Yay. Life is going to be good. We got, we know how to manifest. We believe in miracles. Hallelujah. They go to turn the key and the bus explodes and they think Van Damme is dead. The king is dead. The king is dead. How many times has that happened to you? That's what makes the law of attraction and the secret and the art of manifestation, the believing in miracles, the believing in God, it makes it so frustrating because you believe and you believe and your bus explodes. I hate it when my bus explodes. <laughs> it's so not fun. It's not fun when your bus explodes. Especially when you almost die when your bus explodes. It's intense. That is intense. And then... Next scene, happy birthday. I got you something even better than you thought was imaginable. Indeed. And it came from a way you didn't expect. And your bad shit just got great. Yeah, hopefully this one doesn't explode very right. soon. But if we're I'm this is I'm using this now for a lesson in manifestation. Even then he's like, I can't accept this. So I believe in miracles. Oh, yes. I believe in miracles. Bus explodes. Oh, damn. Here's an awesome pimped up bus that you could never even conceive of. I don't think I'm worthy of it. That's the scene so far. Have you lived it? Yes. Mm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in there a little bit and also add he's getting this bus from a gangster. Right. Who has been known to tie him up, so to speak. Yes, I agree with you. Blackmail. So that still fits in, right? That's still part in there. I just want to say that yeah. along with everything. Yeah, what there's you said, a. I don't know if I can accept it from worthiness, but also what strings are attached. So attached, but that's a really important thing, right? Yeah. Because like, okay, I just I just manifested what I wanted, actually way bigger than what I wanted. It came from an area that I didn't expect. What's the catch? And then can I accept it? 
And then he says, you gave me so much more. So then there's just Silas says what you gave my family. This is like nothing compared to that because we think money is like it, right? Or like our tangible things that we need. That's what manifesting is all about. When Kathy has just manifested this guy, his freedom, his life, his family, a new perspective, all kinds of stuff that were so far beyond a bus to him. Mm-hmm. So anyway... Law of attraction. There's a little synopsis. I, I think I derailed you there a little bit on receiving. Did you want to go about Well, that? yeah, we got to receive, right? Like sometimes, but it, it's either, right? Like either I'm not worthy or maybe this is a bad thing. Maybe I'm being tricked or whatever. Sometimes we're just as afraid of getting more than what we wanted or everything we wanted plus more. Like, actually, sometimes we really like that whole reaching and the not receiving. So just remember to receive. Right. And if you're not receiving, you're actually denying the person the experience of giving because people like to be generous and they like to give. So if we don't receive what they give, they were robbing them of an experience, right? I'm not suggesting you take things with strings attached, of course, but that whole process of the give and the take is very important when it comes to, as Sheila said, manifesting in your life. Right. And one of my pet peeves is the the saying, it's better to give than receive. And everybody tries to go around giving, myself included. We were just with my cousin on a trip and I went to buy dinner because <laughs> they were housing us and, and he was having an issue with it. And I'm like, just receive. So then the next time we go out to dinner, he went to pay. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, yeah, but you guys are housing us, driving us, doing all these things for us. So I thought we should buy dinner. And he looks at me. He's like, what was that you said? <laughs> Just receive. <laughs> so receiving is really important because if it's better to give than receive and you're never willing to receive, that's really selfish because you're not giving, giving anyone the chance to give <laughs> to you. Yep. So receiving is important. Receiving is important. Another lesson of Sense8. And you'll always have time to give and give and give. And then there's time to receive and receive and receive. It's a cycle. A time to sow and a time to reap. There's a song. Actually, it's a Bible verse. See, they knew what they were talking about sometime. All right, so we got some pretty awesome um, themes going here just in this Sense8 episode, don't you think? Yup. And now... We're getting to the birthday, which is pretty awesome here. We have made it to one year birth, right? So they were birthed at the beginning of episode one, and we're moving through to their birthday here, and they're celebrating their birthday together. Sun is the first person. She gets somebody that comes in and gives her a picture of her and her dog, which is very beautiful. The meaning of that, the time that was spent in it. She receives it very gracefully. She did. And Kala is the other extreme. Rajan has given her this mega necklace of diamonds, a whole beach party with her name up in flames or something, a DJ, and she jumps in and DJs because she's Riley, and 
I actually, he just looks at her as like in awe of her because like there are little things now with all of them. Like people are noticing, wait, they're they're acting out of character. Yeah, that was super cool. And the cool thing is that some of them are appreciating that. You know how sometimes when we act out of character, people are like, I don't know, who is that? But they're like appreciating that. Kathy, as we just talked about, he got the bus, a party. Riley and Will, um, there's a couple things with them. Just little things that I want to point out. So she takes them to another special place to have a big tub bath, water. To to inject heroin. No, he gets to be off of it for a little while. So one of the things is he's like, where do you find these places? And she goes, oh, I celebrated one night with Vincent. I thought she said touring. Oh, well, like she touring as a DJ because she spun that night and she came back and, and celebrated in that room with, with her Vincent. Friend. And he's like, No, I love this line though. He goes, Should I be jealous? That's a good line. And she says, Only if it makes you want me more. And I think that's so cool because jealousy is a part of our human nature. And even if you trust in a, you know, the whole thing about emotions with me is we can't deny any emotions. So, how are you going to take those emotions and move them into a positive action? And so she's just like, only if it makes you want me more. And jealousy does make us want someone more sometimes. Like it can be. I mean, look at what Wolfgang is doing now. He's jealous. And so now he wants her more. It's a, it's part of our human nature. And it's called right out. Like, let's not make jealousy a big thing. Let's just like call it for what it is, which is awesome. And the other line um, that they talk about is that Will says, I thought, because they start getting pulled in by the music. And he's like, I don't know if he says I wasn't supposed to visit or share or, you know, we decided that we would only do that in an emergency. And she said, this is more than an emergency. It's a celebration of our life and, and our birthdays or whatever. So to me, that's epic, too, because... We, as a human species, are so used to going through life from one fire to another, putting out fires, emergencies, like pain, discomfort, survival, emergency is supposed to trump all, when in reality, stopping to celebrate life is more than an emergency. I I love, 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 love that line. Super great. Yes. So they all start to hear the music, they share in the celebration, and they dance, they DJ, and then Wolfgang sees Kala and Rajan, and he's kind of jealous. Kala sees him, she's also committed that she's going to be with Rajan that night. She, she wants it, she's, she's planning it, she's going to be with him. And then after the celebration comes to that end, they're all still dancing and they're like, that was fun. And Kala ends up in the cell, which is interesting, right? In the cell with Sun. And I think we have a clip, right? Yep, here goes. I don't know why I'm here. I think we all know how this works by now. Do we? It works very inconsistently for me. That is a beautiful necklace. I, um... Rajan's from your beautiful party. And tonight, 
Tonight we're going to have sex. When I'm in the ring, there are times when my body moves without me telling it to. It moves without me thinking I should do this, I shouldn't do that. It moves in harmony to the moment. The first time something like that happened, I was 17. I was invited to a major tournament. My final opponent was a boy named Wujin. He was a smart and skilled fighter. But my father was in the audience. I believed if I won, my father would let me compete in the nationals. But it had the opposite effect. After the fight, my father forbade me from ever fighting again. You aren't the best fighter I've ever fought in my life. It was an honor to be in the ring with you. exist because of sex. It's not something to be afraid of. It's something to honor, to enjoy. So for me, I liked this scene because of several things, but basically I feel like she's we as a society make a real big deal out of sex. And when we put sex all in the mind and get ourselves wrapped up with the meanings and the this and the that of it, um, our heads get in the way. And I think that's what's going on with Kala. And I, I like that she equates it to other things that we do in our lives when we just move beyond. Though, while she's talking about martial arts, maybe Kala can associate times when she was dancing and she just gets into that zone and it's more that she's not thinking about the next move. She's just allowing herself to be in that flow, which I would call the vortex or, or the zone to be in that space beyond the mind in synergy with the mind, body and spirit. So she's referencing that, but then she's also talking about sex and how there's more to learn with sex than 
what our society talks about. Like we can learn about ourselves. So it doesn't have to be conditional and based on all these things that we're taught. She's saying, hey, Kala, you can learn more about yourself by opening to this experience than you can in so many different other ways that you try and maybe take some of the pressure off of sex and just let it be and let yourself just surrender into that moment without it being a decision about Wolfgang or Rajan and what society says and this and that. It just is. And what sage advice did she get from Sun about this? It's epic. Yeah. Epic good. Oh, I think so. Like we're born like this is we exist because of sex. And so we need to get over compartmentalizing and taking it outside of our lives, which is what we do with everything. Yeah. So I thought that was really powerful. And then it moves into the orgy, which again, I hate calling it orgy because it's not a physical orgy. It's something very beyond. So it just doesn't seem like a big enough word for me. But We've got them all flowing and moving with their partners and with each other. And we have the spectrum of the sex where Wolfgang has just, you know, used an app to hook up and he's having sex. But that partner doesn't make it into the puppy puddle. I think that's what Michael called it. But um, into the puppy puddle of the orgy and, and love because that wasn't love. That was just a, he did that as an expression. And then, um, but Neitz makes it into that. And Hernando does, because that's a conduit of love. But we've got that synergy going on. And then we've got the comical scenes with Kala and Rajan and Wolfgang, which are funny. Mm-hmm. I think um, for me, what they're, why this is such sage advice from Sun. She's first she talks about martial arts and how her body starts to move and without her telling it what to do. And then she talks about sex and how she was able to open up and learn more about herself and her partner. Mm-hmm. Oh, she does. Say she that. does yeah. say both of them because right. you do, and that's kind of the difference. I mean, uh, sex is, is is an amazing experience and it's so pleasurable and so fulfilling but there's so much to learn like Mm -hmm. as an experience but not to learn but to experience about how far can you open up how far can you love and what's important here to me about the body being able to move without the mind which is what you were saying the mind gets in the way and it does and to me freedom is the ultimate human value Right. That's to me, that's what spirituality, that's what religions, that's what all these things are pointing to is how to become a free and sovereign person. Mm-hmm. And that comes with being free to be the most loving person you can possibly be in the face of quite the opposite. And so that takes a lot of mastery. And so what we're talking about here is the freedom of movement, the freedom of the body. And you kind of, for me, I've gotten to a point in my training inside of the dojo and out where I have reached a certain level of freedom, okay? And and part of that is the physical movement and the reflexes. The other part is the judgment aspect about judging yourself and whether or not 
you should be doing what you're doing, right? And this is where Kala is getting all mixed up in the head. And so here's an example. One day we were having a party and there's this older woman and she was standing in the kitchen and she actually fell over and she was gonna fall down. And I, I just reacted and I grabbed her and I saved her from maybe breaking a hip, <laughs> okay? But it was in that moment, I'm like, oh man, I didn't have to think about what was right to do in that moment. I just could act, right? So that, that's also part of the, the value of expression of freedom is mentally, emotionally, and physically being able to be sovereign and make decisions on the fly that are in the highest interest of you and everybody surrounding you. And I think part of that, when we allow our bodies to move, in the, the act of sex, it allows us to open up those other channels, like the heart, and sex being the synergetic energy exchange between one or more people. And the reason I'm, I'm bringing up freedom more is because these things that we call orgies, they're totally the, the expression of freedom, and sexual freedom, and um, the ability to just move, because you're, it's not just two people. It's everybody, right? So it's just this ability to be free and to move in creation energy with other people as you're learning how to experience yourself and them. And without that level of freedom, I don't think you could experience that type of, uh, air quotes, orgy. Right. And then, like every other aspect of Sense8, we as the audience are gifted that same experience through the art because we're being exposed to that flow. We're being exposed beyond ourselves, beyond our, our limited minds into the lives and that flow and that beauty and the sexuality of other beings so that we can learn more about them, the characters as they represent aspects of humanity and ourselves as we move through as the viewers. So once again, we've got that layered effect from the viewer, the art, the characters, and it's a masterpiece. Amen. That gets us to about halfway through this episode. And like we said, we had a lot to say. Remember, if you haven't checked out some of the interviews, a lot of them cover scenes from this episode. We will be back next time to dive equally as deep into the second half of Happy Fucking New Year. And a big special thank you to Sarah Applegate, the editor of the Live Sensate podcast. Please go ahead and rate us big five stars on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you're listening to us from. We really appreciate that. Thank you very much for all the social love that you give us over there on the Twitter and Facebook, etc. You can talk to us via Twitter or email. Our Twitter handle is at live underscore sense eight our email address is team at live sense eight.com and go ahead and head over to patreon.com forward slash live sense eight to grab your awesome perks support the show so we can grow and thank you very much for spending your time with us here today until next time stay connected 